0: ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, present Moxie Betts. Make bets with Moxie with betting expert Katie Mox and her merry band of gambling insiders as they preview lines, spreads, parlays, and props with personality and the kind of advice they would give themselves. That's Moxie Betts. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about... Well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me.
1: Hi, I'm Kate Ackerman, and my dilemma is that I need more hours in my day.
0: Girl, don't I know it. Man, I wish I could give you that, and I can't clone you either, but... As a doctor, you are a hell of a lot closer to figuring out cloning than I am, so maybe get on that. Um, I can suggest a few tips, though, that are my tried and true go-tos when it comes to time management and figuring out how to get everything done. The first one, I'm certain with all of your many jobs you're good at, but I'll say it anyway. Be diligent about your system and your schedule so that you can spot those free moments and chunks in advance And use them well. And that can mean either to get shit done or not do anything at all. Whatever choice makes sense at the time. But see those moments ahead of time so you can use them. Be willing to let others do things that you don't have to be the one to do. Now, this one's extremely tricky for me. Uh, I'm working on it, though. I'm working on delegating, releasing control of all things all the time. Uh, That's a good one. And finally, this is a big one. Remember that when you give someone a yes, be sure you're not giving yourself a no. Meaning, if someone asks for your time, say, I don't know, podcast recording, if you need that time for sleep, workouts, family, vacation, whatever it is, you can say no. Remember to give yourself enough yeses and other people enough no's to even it out. Also, hit me up when when that cloning thing happens, okay? That's what she said. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe I've met a soulmate, a party-planning, sports-loving, acapella song singing badass who also just happens to be a brilliant doctor now the doctor part i lay no claim to but the rest i want to party with this week's guest welcome to that's what she said with sarah spain today i chat with dr Catherine ackerman md mph f-a-c-s-m board-certified in internal medicine, sports medicine, and endocrinology. She's the medical director of the Female Athlete Program in the Division of Sports Medicine at Boston Children's Hospital, associate professor at Harvard Med School, on the National Leadership Council for the WUSAI Human Performance Alliance, head doctor of U.S. rowing, and a former national team lightweight rower herself. Yeah. She's accomplished, for real Uh, She spoke at the W Summit last fall And I knew I had to have her on to talk about The dearth of research into women's sports New investments and initiatives to change that And the future of athletic performance What we could actually see So we get into it all in this conversation Trans athletes, DSD, cloning, eugenics The effects of Roe v. Wade on female athletes and competition Serious stuff We also still, though, manage to have a lot of fun So you'll enjoy this Here's the amazing Dr. Kate Ackerman. That's what she said. I'm so excited to have Dr. Kate Ackerman on my podcast. She spoke at our ESPNW summit last fall and I was fascinated by the topic, but it was one of those power talks where you just have 10 to 15 minutes to get everything in. So I wanted to have her on to speak on a larger scale. And coincidentally, Unrelated to me asking her on this podcast, someone from one of the programs that she works with, the Wusai Alliance, reached out to me to do some quick research interview about all the possible tentacles and factors and, and issues with um, the research that they're doing and the athletes that might participate. So the world was telling me that this was the time for this conversation and to catch back up with Kate. So thanks so much for doing this. And I can't wait to get to all of that. And without too much of that being given away, let's just start with the fun stuff. You were just at the World Track Championships in Oregon. You were just at the World Rowing in Italy, was it? I mean, you're yeah. bouncing all over the place. I am. Yeah, it's a good thing. I can kind
1: of sleep anywhere, anytime. That helps with my world travels. And there was a boat named after you at World Rowing. I need to hear about this. Um Okay, so we'll start with the rowing first. I was super honored um, to have a boat named ac- after me by U.S. Rowing. So it was the U-19, the under-19, and the U-23, under-23-year-old world championships that were in Varese, Italy. And I'm the head doctor for U.S. rowing, and I'm a member of the World Rowing Medical Commission. So I've been spending a lot of time over the years helping with medical issues with our national team. And I was named, the boat was named after me for the women's eight at U-23s. And the extra bonus was they
0: won a gold medal. I was yes. so proud of them.
1: So that was super Amazing.
0: What a cool fun fact that, you know, your boat won it all. Um, Okay, (laughs) so we'll lead to why you are at these events and what it relates to in terms of the work you do, but let's go all the way back to young Kate. Where did you grow (laughs) up and what were you into? I was born a young child, a small <laughs> child, aren't in we Buffalo, all New York, yeah. right? Yeah, I was born <laughs> a small child. If you're if you were born a large child, I mean I guess that's possible, but still a child possible. would be good.
1: Yeah. Right. I was born in Buffalo, New York. I grew up in Orchard Park, home of the Bills. Go Bills. Um, and it always kind of surprises people now, well, until they get to know me a little bit, but I was a musical theater person. Nice. I was not a huge jock. I was very um, outdoorsy and like to do a lot of different activities, but I was a musical theater person. I played the piano and the flute and did cheerleading and rowing just kind of hit me over the head when I got to college. And that's when I fell in love with rowing and the rest was history.
0: It's funny how many rowers I have sort of inadvertently had on this podcast. You guys are very determined and accomplished people and so many... To have that same story of getting to college and college recruiters looking around for the next undiscovered great athlete and you were obviously one because you became a national team lightweight rower so Cornell University uh, the, the story I've told before is you have to pass the swim test to graduate <laughs> so if you're already a good swimmer just you, you get it out of the way the first week of school and the rowing coaches would stand by the pool and see if anybody looked athletic to try to poach them and I was already spoken for at the track team you you were not apparently. You were just headed to Cornell to be a nerdy smart kid and and yeah. when did they poach you? Oh, it's even worse than that. They didn't poach me. They were not looking for me. I found them. Um,
1: I actually tried out for two a cappella groups, and it came down to four people um, twice, and they keep they took two, and both
0: times I was in the group of the other two. So, okay, are we talking uh, nothing but treble here?
1: Totally, nothing but treble. Okay, trouble is I actually
0: auditioned for nothing but treble and made it, and then they changed everything to Saturdays, which is when my track mates were, and I was like, oh well, that was a good use of several days of auditions for nothing.
1: Looking could oh my gosh! I didn't know you could sing too, yeah. Sarah. You are—you do it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't make it. Um. So basically, they took the other two, didn't take us, and I was feeling bad about myself. Went back to Bolt Hall. You might remember Bolt mm-hmm. Hall. But- And um, my friends at the dorm said, well, you know, I think you'd be good at rowing. And I said, why? And they said, because there are no cuts. And I was like, oh, that's great. (laughs) So that's how it started. And there comes in that perseverance because um, I really liked it. I wasn't very good, but um, eventually I did get good at it. And then after college, I wanted to keep going because I was sort of a scrappier Um, rower. I'm only 5'7 on a really good day, probably less than that now. And so as an open weight, we only had an open weight team. So I was one of the smaller people on the team. So I had to be really strong and, you know, hold my own. And I realized, hey, actually, there's more rowing after college. I want to see how much I can do with this. And so I decided to become a lightweight and try out for the national team. and, And I made the national team a few years later as a lightweight.
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. And I love that story because actually there's a ton of stories of people who are just naturally gifted, tried sports. They were great at it. It became their life. But I love the stories of people who either discover it later or have the persistence to to, to keep pushing and keep fighting for it and then have that later renaissance of, of greatness because um, those are just as inspiring. Um, what did, Where did your uh, rowing career end? At what point was it clear that it was time to hang them up? So I had like a lot
1: of, I guess, fairly smart people. I had a few options of what to do with my life. And I think that was like my big conflict because uh, while I was at Cornell, you know, where you can go and study anything, I realized I wanted to be pre-med. So I was late to that game too. Clearly there's a theme here with my late blooming. So I came in there as a government major, thought I'd go to law school and left Cornell as a government and biology major and decided I wanted to go to medical school. So I was kind of doing some pre-med type work after college and I ended up getting into Johns Hopkins med school, um, and then made the national team. And so I was trying to juggle both and trying to decide if I should take time off or not. I took some a couple of years off in medical school to row some more. And then I hung up my oars in 2000 when it came became really clear that there was only one lightweight double. And the women who were going to go were really fast. Um, they medaled at the Olympics. And so I did not make the team in 2000. And I thought, I better get myself back to school. <laughs> I think if I had, you know, a, a different, now that I'm my older self, I would would have probably rode longer. But at the time, I just thought, yeah, I can't keep doing both of these things. Yeah, that's um, so that's when I, I, that's when I transitioned and then really figured out I absolutely wanted to combine rowing and sports and sports medicine all together, which I was able to do with my career.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. How close were you to the Olympics?
1: Um, I mean, I was in the top, I don't know, 12. Uh, but there's only two spots. So that's wild.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, you're you get your BA in government and biology at Cornell. At that point, do you know what you want to do? Is it doctor? And then I'll figure out the rest later? Or was there a focus you already had your eye on? Well, in college,
1: that's when I had the little midlife crisis. I think a lot of women do. So I got it out of the way. Um, I realized, oh, I want to do health policy. I'm interested in government. I like reading all those nerdy things, but I'm a bit of a masochist. And I thought I'm paying a lot of money to go to school here. I should study something that I'm not as good at and Mm -hmm. challenge myself a little bit. And that's when I took up pre-med, a biology class for the jocks basically. And I actually really liked it. And then I thought, you know, if I want to do health policy, I'll be much better at this if I know more biology. And so then it just got to be more and more. And then I thought, you know, it might be kind of cool to be a doctor. Then I might be taken more seriously to really know biology. And then it just seemed great to actually be helping people. You know, I think a lot of times in politics, you can be doing a lot of work and then feel like, what did I get done here? You know, I've worked in DC. I worked for the Department for Health and Human Services. I worked for my congressman. And, like, there's something about taking care of patients that at the end of the day, you did some good, you definitely accomplished something, you definitely helped somebody feel better. Um, That tangible ability to be of use, I think, really was something I enjoyed.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. it, and, and that is such an interesting balance to try to figure out. It's sort of like uh, celebrity chefs who have to decide, do I still want to be in a kitchen every night or do I just want to release like cookbooks and sauces? And do they, you know, yeah. which part of it is, are they really drawn to the actual practice of of dealing one-on-one with patients or the larger big picture stuff? And you're kind of doing both based on the 11,000 titles that I started the podcast <laughs> off with. Um, so you go to medical school at Johns Hopkins, you get your master's in public health at Harvard, and you do your residency where? Um, at Penn. At this point,
1: I decided I'm only going places with good water because um, I still like to row. So I went to Philly and did my residency at Penn, which was so fun. I um, it, Penn was a great fit because it was the kind of place where people were smart, but it was a work hard, play hard kind of environment. And I was with my rowing people. I lived next door to my best friend from college and her husband. And Philly's just a pretty friendly place. So I had the best of both worlds with my rowing community, some of my college friends, you know, and a great medical community
0: too. How did you decide which of the IVs to leave out of your uh, curriculum? Yeah. Well, You're- some of them weren't gonna <laughs> let me in, so. You know. Ditto, some of them some of them let me know that I wouldn't right, be exactly. including them. Same. <laughs> Okay so you you eventually find your way to what we're here to talk about, which is this focus on the study of female athletes and in your power talk it was so fascinating for me to hear um, the real specific data around, uh, the studies on women's and men's bodies and, and one of the things you pointed out, which probably is worse now that there's another two years tacked on but between 2014 and 2020 the study of top sports and exercise science medicine and physiology journals uh, so over 5000 publications over 12 million participants. And sixty three percent of publications included both males and females. Thirty one had males only, and only six percent included females only. So all of these occasions where men are being used as proxies for for women, and the repercussions of that are are pretty serious. And I don't think we think about them much when we talk about the development of female athletes, the the expanded horizons and abilities of women in in sport, um, and and let's go back to why that is. Where did we begin to decide that our focus on this kind of work should be predominantly male? So
1: I think if we go way back, we used to think or society thought that women just had a different role in the world. You know, they were there to make babies. They were there to please men. Um, It was a very male-dominated world. In a lot of respects, it still is. And um, so you know, a hundred years ago, people still had doubts about women participating in sport. And there were all sorts of myths like, oh, they couldn't do a certain distance because their uterus would fall out. Or <laughs> that's, it would my be like. that's my favorite, favorite one. That's my favorite one.
0: There can't yeah. have been an actual doctor that said that. That's that's very oh, pseudoscience absolutely. because they always attribute that to doctors. But I'm like, don't you have a reputation to uphold? Like you didn't yeah, really think was... their uterus would fall out, did you? Well, this was back in
1: the day when, you know, they had, they didn't have options of things. You know, they didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have, right, right. They, were, they were using leeches. Like, the, yeah, leeches that's, are effective, that, but that's fair. Whenever I use. have a
0: bad day, I think I, I literally do this. I go, I could be getting a dental treatment 500 years ago. <laughs> And then I'm yeah. like, "Are you?" I'm just so much better off now. <laughs> or your uterus could have fa- fallen off. My out, uterus could you know, have fallen off when I was just yeah. going for a jog or riding a horse. <laughs> wow. Thank God we figured those things out.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, people thought that, um, you know, women were meant for other aspects of life and it wasn't a good thing for them to try to push their bodies like that. And there were a lot of myths and just a lot of unknowns about what the reproductive system could handle, if it would be safe to exercise during pregnancy. And so over time, thank Thank goodness for trailblazers that just kept pushing the envelope that kept being the first, you know, the first woman to run the Boston Marathon, the first Mm -hmm. to break a certain speed, the first to get onto some team or demand more. And I think because of that. Energy. That's why over time, it's just sort of bubbled up that more and more women are saying, "No, no, no, this isn't enough." But to get to the basic of the basis of the studies, I think the other thing to keep in mind is women are expensive in a lot of ways. Um, but we're expensive if we want to be studied correctly. And so, if you're going to do a study and you have a very limited amount of money from a grant um, from some sort of funding, the easiest thing to do is to pick a population whose hormones don't change that much, who are pretty uh, homogeneous, and then study your thing. So the studies initially, a lot of studies were done in male medical students, they were around, and they were dudes, and they didn't have menstrual cycles. And so there are a lot of studies initially were just in these men who were in their 20s. And over time, people said, OK, we need to find out about what happens to men when they age. What happens to men when this happens? Maybe we should study somebody besides just white men. And then people started saying, maybe we should find out what happens with women. <laughs> um, so, it, when Are you there start reasons to talk that
0: about- women are more difficult and less homogenous outside of the changes in hormones during our period? or Or is it mostly about that?
1: Well, there's we have a lot of different hormones, um, but the big ones, the big things that everybody focuses on are the rhythms that happen with estrogen and progesterone. And so when people have actually taken this t- the time to study women, they find that they metabolize drugs differently. Um, they might have different performance effects or different health effects at different phases of their menstrual cycle. So we probably are even more complicated than that. We don't. <laughs> um, we haven't nailed down every single um, hormonal rhythm um, when it comes to every single output and every single drug-drug interaction.
0: Yeah. And so that's why we're more expensive and more complicated because we have yet to really figure everything out in that way. So by the way, as we talk about this, we mean female in terms of sex, not gender. So chromosomally, not constructually. Um, although I would imagine uh, there are some really interesting subsections of your study based on people who are intersex. Um, there's a really fascinating HBO Sports study um, and and report on some of the women runners that have been denied participation um, because of their testosterone levels. And they are women, they were born women, they have female genitalia, but they are technically considered intersex because of their hormonal makeup. Um, And I would imagine that those are some fascinating people to study as well.
1: Yes, you're getting into all of this stuff there, Sarah's (laughs) being. Um, So uh, yeah, as an endocrinologist, I do do work with um transgender athlete athletes athletes with differences in sexual development i am asked a lot about policies about these things so uh, so now we don't call it intersex i know it's hard to keep up oh. with all the different terms i know we call it dsd so differences in sexual development okay. um so now it's dsd now you know um and basically the idea is that somebody could actually have a y chromosome but they don't have the same receptor ability to read the hormone that's in their system. So somebody could have XY chromosome, but the testosterone that's floating around in their system is not getting read by the receptors, the testosterone receptors. And so therefore the default pathway is to develop more female appearing genitalia, etc. So the DSD um, population is, it can be very variable. So people might have um, more receptors or more sensitive receptors than others, and that's why the DSD um, issues that come up in sport can be really tricky. There are a lot yeah. of different mutations, actually, that can happen that can that can cause a wide variety of things. There have been D- DSD um, people, for example, there was a runner who had a Y chromosome, but she was able to give birth um, without needing any kind of reproductive hormonal help, she gave birth. So it just shows like the, how complicated it is. Yeah.
0: I remember reading about a man who had six children. He lived his whole life as a man, no, no issues or otherwise went in for a surgery and he had a womb in his body, (laughs) but hadn't been used, didn't need it. Uh, just an extra womb. Um, there's so many directions to go with this. So we'll redirect to where we intended to be. But I do find it all so fascinating because we do put a cap on women's ability in part based on these ideas of where one sex ends and another begins. And we don't do that for men because we don't believe that there is a cap to what men can achieve. But with women, as soon as you get too fast, too strong, too big, too great, uh, we will start looking for biological reasons to deny you participation, which is kind of fascinating Um that's a whole other conversation. whole other podcast Let's we get skip to transgender back. and yeah. DSD. Yeah. And DSD and everything <laughs> else and why we randomly assign it for certain elements in track and then other participating events. Uh, we don't care. Um, okay. So the research of female athletes historically has been woeful, and it has effects across multiple levels. One, of course, is just that when we don't understand female athletes and don't invest in them. It, it leads to lower levels of participation. It means that if you get an injury, maybe you don't come back because we don't understand as well how to treat, heal, and rehabilitate women and girls who are injured in sport. Um, we also know the benefits of women in sport across everything from GPA to graduation rates to becoming C-suite members at major companies. Um, when you look at the biggest gaps or issues that have resulted from previous lack of investment in women's sports and female bodies, where do you see it most screaming at you to say, you know, this is where we missed out or this is why these things happened because we didn't invest?
1: Oh, there's so many. There's so (laughs) many, which is why I feel like my work is it's all low-lying fruit now that we have funders. It's just like a kid in a candy shop. Um, (laughs) One of the things that we know is that Uh, women are more likely to tear their ACL than men, so women doing similar sports. And the reason for that is there are numerous reasons, but um, our bodies are built differently. There are times when we have more uh, ligamentous laxity, so our ligaments stretch a little bit more because of how we're built and our muscle... um, Which muscles are stronger or weaker when playing basketball, for example, we might land differently. So there's biomechanical differences. And so I've seen so many patients who have torn their ACL at the peak of their high school Mm. sports career. And an ACL isn't a quick fix where you get back out there. And so there's so many things that happen with that. So somebody might tear their ACL, they land in basketball, they twist a little bit, boom, it's torn. Now they're out. Um, they're really bummed because they're not participating. They've now been taken away from their friend group. They need to do some prehabilitation, then do surgery. It can be over six months before they're back into their sport. And there's so many elements of what happens during that time. So they might have changes in how they feel, uh, self-esteem-wise. They might develop eating disorders and body image issues. They might be hanging out with a different crowd now. They might completely drop out of sport because they can't imagine how they're going to get back in time to get recruited. And there have been studies even looking at how girls who are injured and then return and get do all their, their rehabilitation, how confident they are about going back to sport. Hmm. And one of the studies demonstrated that when you do all the physical testing, even if you have a female and a male who are both adequately ready to go back, the woman is more tentative because she wants to feel a hundred percent prepared, and the man sometimes is ready to go even if he's not quite physically ready. So if they have the same sounds physical sounds like testing, applying for a job. Right? <laughs> I
0: mean it was so interesting to me. I mean every that. study like, says that how right? often men will apply for jobs for which they're underqualified mm-hmm. and women won't apply even when overqualified. It just yeah. that that pathology is so uh, omnipresent across of so many different things.
1: Right. So we need to attack something like that from so many different angles. We need to figure out, okay, what makes the girl more susceptible? Are there times in her menstrual cycle she's more susceptible? Should we be doing different types of uh, training, you know, like the they do for soccer, girl soccer players? And should we be doing types of physical training to prevent that injury? Okay, if they do get injured, do we give them all the other support that they need through that process? So the psychological support, the nutritional support, do we get them into rehab right away? Do we help them with that confidence to get back in the game That's the kind of thing where we need to be doing it from this multidisciplinary approach, which is what I really like when I talk about female athletes is just working with people with all these different skill sets to help the patient. We'll get right back to the
0: interview. But first, what is your favorite word? Persistence. Persistence from the 1540s, meaning steady or firm adherence to or continuance in a state course of action or pursuit that has been entered upon from French and from Latin. Persistence, a great word. Speaking of great words,
1: you're going to learn today.
0: The word of the week is endocrine. That's right. You've already listened to half of this pod with an endocrinologist. And I bet you were asking yourself, which one is that again? Uh, Is that, yep, I'm right, right? Because to be honest, I had to Google it myself before the interview to be sure. So for those of you still in the dark who did not Google endocrinologist or endocrine, endocrinology is the study of hormones and endocrine glands and organs so endocrine circa 1914 it means and this is real and it sounds real gross secreting internally now there are a few grosser words than any form of the word secrete secreting secretion secreted blah the words come from endo meaning inside and a Latinized form of Greek, crinine, to separate, distinguish. So, secreting internally. Gross. In a sentence, the endocrine system, made up of all the body's different hormones, regulates all biological processes in the body, from conception through adulthood and into old age, including the development of the brain and nervous system, the growth and function of the reproductive system, as well as the metabolism and blood sugar levels. The female ovaries, male testes, and pituitary thyroid and adrenal glands are all major constituents of the endocrine system. Look at us, relearning what we were taught in school. Now let's get back to the interview. So, I mean, you talked about it. There's, there's all these um, specific to women. There's more concussions, more eating disorders, more bone stress injuries, higher rate of ACLs, which we could tell based solely on the NWSL season this year, which has yeah. been just horrific. Um, But to understand training and optimization is a really fascinating part of this, because as you mentioned, during the period cycle and during the course of an entire month um, for someone who's menstruating, there's, you know, during ovulation, your testosterone is actually peaking. And then what is it doing to your estrogen and your progesterone? And I remember being a collegiate athlete and not really I didn't really do much. I didn't really pay attention to it. It was like I knew when it was coming. And if I had, I remember one day out of four years of track where I had such terrible cramps that I just told my coach, like, I got to go lie down. And other than that, it was just, I think I actually remember distinctly that my pentathlon PR during my junior season uh, was on my period and I had been worried about it. And then Maybe uh, maybe give me extra extra lady strength. But I mean, th- those things we don't really talk about or study or at least not at, at at the time that I was competing.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I think we're we're trying to figure out. We don't want people to be sitting around going, oh, my gosh, can I do this on day 19 of my cycle? Oh, right. Should I eat this? So we don't want to be hyper focused on it. But there's this international group of researchers that are all trying to understand more. I think the very first step is we just want people to understand about periods. You know, some people don't understand what the first day of their period is or how many days should go by before the around the time they should be ovulating, you know, some basic definitions. And we want women to track their cycles. So if you have somebody who's not on the pill, if they're not on any kind of hormonal contraceptive, um, people used to think, oh, if you're training really hard, it makes sense that you'll lose your cycle. That's cool. And now we know, no, it's not cool. It means you're probably under-fueling. And so if you're monitoring your cycle and you don't get it every month, maybe you're not eating enough. Let's step in here. Let's talk to a sports dietitian. Let's see how stressed you are. But then when you get to the specifics and somebody has a cycle... To your point, people feel differently uh, with their cycle. So we just want people at this stage to get to know what their cycle is and what their patterns are. At the time of your period, your hormone levels are the lowest, and some people perform really well then. Other times, people are having their period and they have horrible cramps, really heavy bleeding. They don't want to leave the house. So maybe that's not the time that they want to be in their, their peak race. So, when people are talking about, oh, you know, the soccer teams are all winning because of all of this intervention with their menstrual cycle, I think it's more the teams do well when they're actually paying attention to it. And then they get sort of an individualized approach for each one of those athletes. Uh, The next phase of research is really to find out are there certain ways that we should be training differently, you know, strength training in a certain phase differently than another time? But especially on a a group team, on a, a soccer team. It's going to be really hard to individualize practice. You know, you have to get out there and you need to play. So we, there's a balance about how much we want to focus on this, but we do want some of the major issues to be paid attention to. Get a cycle. Yeah, be aware of it. If you don't it. get a cycle. Psych- exactly. Right. And then see how you feel at those different phases so you can predict. And you can even time your cycle a little bit. You know, you can be on the pill for a little bit and time it so that you're not at the Olympics when you're about to have your period, if you feel horrible yeah. during your period, Little that's things what like I that can help. thought
0: made sense at this point. Uh, obviously, there are some things that result from uh, from taking the pill or deciding to be in in control of when and, and where. But um, I've always been surprised when athletes didn't use that as a means by which to control, um, you know, for for massive events and big competitions. If people
1: have you know heavy periods or something like that where it's really getting in the way of their performance, I think that's an opportunity to kind of predict it, map out your schedule for the year, work with your doctor, and maybe tweak it a little bit.
0: One of the things you mentioned in your power talk that I hadn't thought of was some of the effects of these studies, um, all of the little unconsidered things that relate, including things like Tylenol and how it affects men and women differently. I had never heard this, and I'm surprised that there aren't guidelines on a bottle that tell you if you're a woman or a man or this size, or whatever, how much to take. It's, it's how, how common is it for over-the-counter drugs and, and things to, to affect men and women quite differently?
1: So some of it we just don't know. I mean, I use that Tylenol example because it is a medicine that stays in a woman's body longer than in a man's. So if things are getting through the FDA and they get FDA approved, they don't need to be tested in every single type of person. They don't need to be tested in men and women of different races, different ethnicities, you know, all different ages um, to get through the FDA. And so that's the whole point of demanding more research on a lot of medicines, on interventions, just because we're making a lot of assumptions. We're feeling a little too comfortable thinking, well, if it's on the shelf, it must be fine. Um, But we don't know. So we just want to see what the studies are and what it's kind of a an empty box of we don't really know. And then you have to just weigh, well, how, how risky is it anyway? Um, so something like Tylenol, you just don't want to take a ton of it. And oh, right. by the way, the difference is going to last in there a little pre- bit longer. Yeah, pretty noticeable, right? Yeah, I think it's a 60%. It's metabolized 60% slower
0: um, in That's a woman a lot. than a man. Yeah, yeah it's a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah um so there's all of these different factors that come into play when we talk about why the dearth of studies into women's bodies and female athletes matters and of course relates to a lack of investment across so many other parts of the landscape and then when we look at the final product and ask why women aren't dunking as often or running as fast or why people aren't as invested in going to games and supporting um we have to look at all the many factors that go into it and there, are, there is a current, uh, not solution, but something that could help. And it's this Woosai Alliance. And um, you talked about it at the summit, um, performance Alliance Discovering Biological Principles to Optimize Human Performance and Catalyze Innovations in Human Health for All. Um, studying Peak Performance. So instead of studying sick people or disease, studying people who are at the top of their game, trying to help all people achieve optimal health and well-being. And it's a fascinating, I mean, the more I learn about it, the more interested I am. But can you tell people who it's named after and who's putting the giant amounts of money behind this?
1: Yeah, so it's really an amazing opportunity. So Clara Wu and Joseph Tsai are putting the money behind it. They found us. So they found a group of us and decided that they wanted to invest in health and in sports. I mean, they're the owners of the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Liberty. They do like sports. Uh, Their kids play sports. And they have already invested a lot of their money in other things, neuroscience and disease states and social justice issues. They're really great people who are using their money in a very positive way. And they picked a bunch of us to kind of think together and develop a big research agenda to, in what we call moonshots, basically these big ideas that we want to study uh, to advance human health, to advance human performance. And... I think I got into the groove and got into the mix because of my focus on women. You know, all of this stuff is fantastic. But if we're not focusing on at least half the population, if we're neglecting that that 50% that we are, um, then we're missing out on an opportunity to really improve the, the health and performance of a whole bunch of people. So my part is the clinical part. I do clinical research. I study human beings. Others in the group are engineers. They're uh, scientists who do work in the lab. It's, it's a mixture of different types of experts, which is what it's what's really cool. And they gave money to different institutions. So it's a $220 million investment over 10 years. Uh, the organizations are uh, Boston Children's Hospital here at Harvard, Stanford, Oregon, UCSD, Uh, Salk, and then University of Kansas. And so we're all working together on different moonshots and then also doing projects that are combined working together, which is why we all went to Oregon to be at that World Athletics Championship because we're visiting the Oregon site. And I keep teasing my Oregon friends now, okay, well, you basically mic drops. Like nobody wants to do a site visit after (laughs) you just hung out, you know, over at that beautiful venue, seeing the most amazing athletic performances. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, I need to get out there. I just want to go to to like Jordan Land and see all yes. the incredible Nike, uh, like all that stuff. It's so cool. Did you see Sydney McLaughlin live? Do break the yes. world record and I mean, yes. unbelievable. For those who haven't, pull it up on YouTube. She. She ran the 19th fastest 400 of the year with hurdles in front of her. If it had been an open 400, it would have been the 19th fastest. She broke her own world record again. She doesn't even look like she has hurdles in the way. She's just, she's unbelievable. So cool. Yeah, it Um, was so cool. When you say moonshot, we often hear about like cancer moonshot, right? We hear about this very specific, very lofty goal for ending um, a disease or sometimes maybe relating to climate change, these massive goals. What is either your specific moonshot or what kinds of moonshots are focused on by the WUSAI Alliance?
1: So the ones that we defined, and we can morph them, some of them have many moonshots along the way, but the digital athlete, we can really recreate a person digitally and and predict their movements and see what is going to help improve and prevent injury. There's the regenerative athlete. So, you know, you hear a lot of stuff out there about, oh, just stick this substance in your tendon or just stick that (laughs) thing to
0: help it regrow. And a lot of it is... Go to Europe and get some plasma that for some reason you're not allowed to get here.
1: (laughs) Right. So we have people doing that in a very scientifically controlled way to figure out, all right, are there ways to regenerate bone or regenerate cartilage or regenerate tendon and ligament. Um, And then there's the molecular athlete and doing all sorts of things with Um, genomics and getting lots of tissue samples from athletes and doing metabolomics. And then there's the multi-scale modeling. And this is the computer modeling where you can put a lot of different factors together and be able to predict things for athletes as well. Mine is a little simpler. Mine is (laughs) don't forget to study women. Uh, (laughs) If you're going to do the regenerative thing, make sure not only male mice, but female mice. Um, Make sure not only men, but women. And a lot of my focus has really been on relative energy deficiency in sport. We see this low energy availability in so many endurance athletes, but really athletes across the board. And the other part is just anything female related, whether it's the menstrual cycle, injury prevention, um, how to stay healthy across the lifespan. A big focus now is in perimenopausal athletes. I mean, we're getting up there in age and there's literally nothing about women mm. um, and performance in women over 50. It's There's so few studies, they're poorly done. They don't really give any good advice about hormone replacement therapy. In the past, it was just, oh, make sure you move your body and do a little bit of weight bearing so you don't get osteoporosis. (laughs) Um, And, you know, maybe you need some medicines to help with hot flashes. And sure, that stuff's important. But the kind of people we know are still really active and vibrant and are wondering, how can I keep performing in my sport? How can I keep feeling healthy? How can I, you know, maintain muscle mass? So those are studies that we're doing as well.
0: You know, when I sat down with the the researcher to talk about it, there were so many interesting concepts that came up about about the studies that we do and why. And I I, I guess for some, it would seem the ultimate goal is to understand why the greatest around us are as great as they are, and then be able to replicate that, understand how much of that is nature versus nurture, training versus natural ability, et cetera. uh, but but this is also hopefully studies that will help just the average person be healthier, live longer, et cetera, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's something really exciting, especially if you come from a sports science lens, and that there's something about breaking barriers. You know, it, it was cool to see if somebody can run the marathon in under two hours. It's cool to see somebody r- do the hurdles so fast that it's like they don't have hurdles in front of them. I mean, that's right. exciting to see how fast someone can get. But keep in mind that there are other things that might derail them along the way, and we need to figure out how we can fix them. And so those same things apply. You know, if somebody strains their hamstring and they're an elite athlete, those same issues are going to apply for that athlete that we're fixing as some of the other people that are weekend warriors or just people that we're trying to get back into activity. So the idea is studying this peak performance and yeah, it'll be awesome to see how much better and faster and higher they can be. But in those studies, we're going to learn things that we can apply to everybody.
0: Are there applications of this funding or any of this research that's directed toward mental health and sports?
1: Absolutely. I think that was, um, you know, one of the focuses in our group is this intersectionality. We know that as women, we can wear a lot of different hats and we identify as different things, you know. For me, I identify as a doctor, I identify as a wife, I identify as a mom, I identify as an athlete, um, I identify as white. Uh, There's a whole bunch of different things. And so when we look at, for example, women's basketball, there's a community where a lot of people are identifying as a lot of different things that might be affecting them at sport, but then also in society. So You know, when you have an African-American woman who is also involved in the Black Lives Matter movement, and she's getting not a lot of people supporting her in basketball. You know, there's so many different lenses there that can be unbelievably stressful Um, and she gets injured. I think we all kind of opened our eyes to the fact that we've got these really impressive professional athletes and they've got a lot of stressors at them. And how can we help tease apart you know, what we can do to keep them resilient, what we can do to enhance their resilience, what are the other things that come into play in their life that we can support so we can actually get the best performances out of them and they can reach their potential and feel good about it.
0: So sort of a weird galaxy brain, but like you talked about how exciting it is to see barriers broken and in science to explore boundaries and and expectation beyond what we've ever seen before. When you talk about stuff like genomic research molecular um taking actual tissue and and pieces of great athlete bodies to study it um do you ever think about the terrifying you know futuristic applications of of cloning or of um the potential risks of an athlete giving up those genetic materials it just seems um like you'd have to really trust all the people you're working with have the best intentions in the work they're doing
1: Yeah. I mean, besides just having fun when we were in Oregon, we actually had some meetings and we talked about this a lot and we're bringing in data protection experts. And those are the exact things that we're worried about. I mean, we don't want to be asking athletes to volunteer and participate in these studies and then allow their information to be shared in any way that's jeopardizing. We certainly don't want to be coming up with some new Orwellian worlds where people are coming up with the exact <laughs> size and eye color and right. all the traits of their child. Yeah. So there's definitely responsibility that goes along with this. And that's something that we have a whole group investing time in to make sure that we do this right and that we do this in a really safe way.
0: Yeah. Cause that's the interesting thing too, is we all want better performance across the board, both at the elite level and for the rest of us, but also, you know, the, the kind of eugenic side of it, where you you don't want to send this to a place like, I don't know, I want to, I don't want to stereotype, but they deserve it. Like Russia, where you know that the intent to use sport to whitewash human rights abuses um, elevates it to the level where you do believe that they would be willing to morally do bad things to have a super fleet of athletes. Absolutely, when we work on these things, and I will touch
1: upon the transgender and sport issue for just a second. Anytime we're thinking about any kind of policy or a study that might come up with some sort of answer or We always have to think about what if it gets in the wrong hands? You cannot assume that this information is just going to be used for good. Um, So it's always a delicate balance when you're coming up with these policies and you're doing this work to make sure that it's really protected, that you have the right people in place, that you have safeguards, that you have all sorts of exit strategies if if things start to get in in with the wrong people.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating to think about all the possibilities though. And it's, I mean, the amount of money that's been now invested in this and the potential for female athletes and understanding performance in recovery, everything else is huge. Um, Speaking of hot button issues, I wanted to get this in before we stopped because I'm curious your take on this. Um, In talking about tracking periods, understanding them and utilizing that information. Um, There's been a lot of conversation telling women across the country now to not use period trackers, to not have any technology that's linked to their cycles because of um, the effects of tearing down Roe v. Wade and potential legal issues, um, if the government or others can access your technology and know when you are or not having your period. Um, There's also conversation around women athletes choosing colleges to go to based on whether or not they'll be able to make reproductive rights choices. Um, And certainly for female athletes, the ability to use um, birth control and other contraception in order to control their body and their hormones and and be aware for competition. How does that intersect at all with any of the research you're doing? Because it certainly feels pretty fraught. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we're going to touch about touch on everything today
0: um yeah the roe v
1: wade decision um overturning came out and i almost put out a tweet that just said okay well my work's done um right. i can't do any of my research anymore everybody i'll prescribe the pill to everyone you just come see, see me right now and forget about yeah. the research
0: yeah um
1: i think we had to get through the shock of it and after that it's going to be um there's a, there's a lot of layers here. Number one, those companies that have the period trackers, many of them have come out and explained how much they protect the information. So I don't think we're at Good. the stage where Big Brother is watching about all the period trackers. And if you're really worried about it, like get out the old fashioned calendar, put the yeah. little red dot on the on the calendar. Um, just look up but, at the moon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or just ask your best friend because you're probably in sync with her exactly. anyway. So um, Ask your yeah, boyfriend see, if you're I mean, being a bitch. Right. <laughs> not what we were supposed to do? Um, so, yeah, there are going to be other ways to track your cycle, but those apps are pretty darn safe. That's the first thing. Second thing is, you know, maybe if people feel strongly about this, there are ways to use our vote, use our voices to enact change. So one of the issues with the, the Supreme Court is that they are acting like major... Um, legislative bodies. And so we need a law if we really want to protect reproductive rights that needs to go through Congress. We need to now be really vocal about the Women's Health Protection Act to see if we can change what's going on right now in the country. And if people are going to avoid states or avoid having championships in certain places or avoid going to schools because of the mentality in that state, I think that's not an unreasonable decision for people to make and maybe that will start then, you know, affecting how people are voting and how people are making choices. But I think in the short term, fortunately, I do a lot of work internationally. And while a lot of other countries are looking at us like we're crazy, we can do some of our projects in other countries where they don't have these same stipulations. And there still are a lot of states like Massachusetts, um, where athletes do have absolute reproductive rights. So we're able to still do the work. But yeah, we all took a huge pause to to think, how is this going to affect it?
0: isn't that sad too we have to you know go do our research in other countries because of our backwards inability to separate (laughs) church and state in the year 2022 land of the free ah cool uh well on that great positive note (laughs) uh before i let you go you do have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects didn't expect a kind of spanish inquisition Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition speed round. Number no. one, your current careers are all canceled. What job do you do instead? Oh, I will be a party planner and a home decorator. <laughs> oh, we need to hang out. We need to yeah. hang out. Sports, music, theater, party planning, decorating. Yes! I mean, we're simpatico. I, knew I, met you, I yes. was like, <laughs> I want to be friends. Uh, number two, what's the most scared you've ever been?
1: Oh, that one's really hard. I don't get scared very easily. But I guess, you know, like superficially scared. I get scared really easily in haunted houses, but like death afraid. Not many things.
0: I'm not you want to be especially creeped out at a haunted house. Just remember that all the people hiding in those costumes are real people who are then taking advantage of the opportunity to grab women. Wow. Okay. Now I'm scared. This is it. This is the moment. You know, they're not going to actually murder you, but you're like, ew, though, still. Um, number three. I know what haunted houses you're going to, but. <laughs> well, yeah. Sometimes I think about that with, uh, with mascots because, oh, yeah. you know, I no love mascots. And then sometimes I have to remember, oh, wait, <laughs> you know. There's a creepy guy in there. Yeah. 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 Uh, number three, you could be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it? oh, wow, that's,
1: that's a tough one. There's so many things for one day. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, I mean, a sporting thing where I just crush it and get a world record. Okay, there you go. yeah, that's it. I want to <laughs> be like the fastest
0: rower in a race at the Olympics. <laughs> having I done, need one day. Having done no work too. like, I'll take that world record. Sorry about your lifetime yeah. of work. Perfect. Uh, number four, what current celebrity from music, politics, TV or sports? Would you most like to be your best friend? Um,
1: Sarah Spain
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> what did you love that yeah. um you know
1: I have always had an obsession with Oprah I really okay. feel like I'd like to spend a little time with her
0: cool I love but that. but you're one. like a close second close second to Oprah I get that all the time uh, number five what's your biggest most meaningless pet peeve meaningless pet peeve biggest, yeah just biggest, silly little biggest. pet peeve
1: a silly I mean really bad grammar when people use two, oh. two, and two wrong or there, there, there. It, it might just be my soulmate. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we
0: yeah. are. Uh, number six.
1: What's the most embarrassed you've ever been? That's another one. It's really hard to embarrass me because I like live and embarrass, I embarrass myself <laughs> Most embar- oh I have a friend uh I don't it's not the most embarrassing but we have a little bit of a war when we give talks at each other's conferences and he has become good buddies with my dad and my husband and he keeps getting pictures from them of like my really ugly phase in oh, middle school perm you know, mm-hmm. and braces and he's put those pictures up
0: during major
1: national conferences oh nice and- yeah, so that, that's a little embarrassing, but
0: you know. I actually uh, I actually used one of those, the worst picture I've ever taken to promote a charity. I was like, you know what? This is the time to break it out and remind yeah. everyone, you know, We're all how human. awkward things can be.
1: Yeah, but you know, you're hard to embarrass too, I think, you know. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, because pretty...
0: I'm very embarrassing as a human in general. Well, I mean, <laughs> we, just, like, we can do it, it. to ourselves yes, and we exactly. don't really care. So, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, number seven What's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Uh, Time management Mm, There you go Uh, Number eight Any musician or band Alive or dead Can play at your next party Who is it? Oh my god Um, Prince Oh That'd be so good Uh, Number nine What would you consider Your biggest failure?
1: Not making the Olympic team That works
0: That works Yeah Uh, Number ten What three individual words Would you most hope That people would use To describe you? Uh, Let's see Let's see
1: Sincere,
0: mm-hmm.
1: funny, mm-hmm. and that's not a good intention. Like, like trying to do good in the world. That's not a word. Principled? What's the word? Principle. Like, I'm trying to do good things. I'm like my uh, the point of yeah. my life is to try to be earnest, doing good for others. Earnest. That's kind of a weird word. What's the well, word we'll for? go
0: with well intentioned. Yeah, I guess. Although well, like well, that make kind a of difference. makes it sound like. It didn't work out like you were well intentioned but it never no one seems to ever no, like
1: like i actually uh per, like i have a purpose like i'm trying to do something purposeful for people
0: like there's yeah purposeful with sure. i'll give you with purpose sure Cool. We'll take it. Uh, right. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm so fascinated to see where some of this uh, Wu Alliance stuff goes, and uh, I will keep following you on Twitter and checking in with your progress. I'm sure you'll be tweeting about some moonshots and some insane studies that we're all going to benefit from.
1: Cool, and I can't wait till you and I plan our next party and do some great decorating and sing at it. That's yeah, you're based thing. out of
0: a uh, Boston area, so I gotta, yeah. gotta I gotta, gotta find an excuse to get out there so we can party. Nice. All right, (laughs) go Cornell, girl. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's what she said. Oh yeah. One more thing. This is a place for rants, raves, everything in between. I'll tell you what to read, listen to, watch. Tell you a funny story. And today, I urge you to read more about the potential effects of abortion laws on sports. You could start with Billy Witz's New York Times column. The headline is "Oklahoma's Abortion Law Raises Questions About NCAA Softball World Series." The NCAA has restricted previous events in response to state lawmakers. It faces that test again in Oklahoma, where softball championships are a mainstay and a restrictive abortion ban recently became law. Start there. You could follow that with The Washington Post. Read a piece by Molly Hensley Clancy. The headline with NCAA silent on abortion bans. College sports face confusion. You can also read up on the NCAA staying silent as Indiana passes a near-total abortion ban. That story is in USA Today by Nancy Armour. Check that one out. There's also a June 29th episode of the Burn It All Down podcast featuring Amy Arambide. She's the executive director of Avow Texas, an abortion advocacy organization. And if you want a broader look, there's some great content on Jessica Valenti's Substack. It's called All In Her Head. And the entries under abortion every day cover an array of issues resulting from potential and current abortion bans and restrictive laws. I am guessing that there will likely need to be some protesting, advocacy and work around holding it to the states, allowing women's bodies to be controlled and manipulated in this way. And we know the power of sport. We have seen championships and events removed before, and we're going to need to do it again. And we're going to need to keep an eye on athletes who choose to or choose not to compete for schools in states that don't see them as human beings with the right to choose and the right to control their bodies and their lives. So read up on it. Stay up to date. We're going to have to have these fights. You can always tweet me, at Sarah Spain, if you have guest suggestions, questions, or more. And you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Rate it. Five stars, please. Give it a review. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.